This evening we shall consider the person who is blessed. We're looking at Psalm 32. And we're looking at Psalm 32, which that starts with a description of the man who is blessed. That's the very first word. And blessed means happy. But it means so much more than simply being happy. It means how blessed or how happy. Not just happy, not just blessed, but how blessed. As in, how blessed is the man who is in a right relationship with God? That kind of happiness is very different to the happiness that any one of us might experience from time to time, like when our favourite football team wins a game. You're allowed to be happy when that happens, or blessed if you like. Or when the weather is nice and sunny, that might make you happy. Or when you're enjoying a nice meal, or good health, or having a well-earned holiday, and so on. In the first instance, the man who is blessed in Psalm 32 is David, the psalmist. He's writing from his own experience there. Furthermore, that perfect happiness can equally apply to anyone whose sins are forgiven. The psalmist is most definitely David, as can be seen in the heading at the top of Psalm 32. But also it can be seen to be David in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul makes mention of Psalm 32. And he tells us that David wrote it. There can be no doubt that David is the penman of Psalm 32. We'll mainly spend our time considering just the first two verses of Psalm 32, although we will look briefly at other verses as well. Let's have a look again at verses 1 and (coughs) 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit There is no guile. You'll see that each of those two verses has a blessed, or as I said before, a how blessed statement. And each of those two how blessed statements is followed by two descriptions of the forgiveness for sins. So two how blessed statements and each of those two how blessed statements followed by a description of what the forgiveness of sins is. In other words, four descriptions of sins forgiven. And sins are described as transgression, sin, iniquity and guile in those two verses. Not surprisingly, as you'll see, there is some overlap uh, between the, the four descriptions of forgiveness of sins. And also, it's clearly the psalmist's intention to emphasise just how blessed the person is who is forgiven. First of all, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven? That's what we see first of all in verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. 
In the New Testament, the Apostle John said, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Therefore, sin can be defined as transgressing or breaking God's law. To transgress is to break God's law. All have broken God's law. All have transgressed God's law. We have all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Where in in its finality, death means everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is the wages for sin. Your just deserts, in other words. Although we all have the work of God's law written in our hearts, we still transgress his law. We still break God's law. We still sin and we do so in our thoughts, in the things that we say, in the things that we do or that we don't do and we ought to do. We all transgress God's law. And what happens when we transgress God's law? That thing called the conscience, our conscience, it accuses us. I don't know if you think that God is perhaps being a tad harsh or unreasonable in condemning transgressors of his law to hellfire. But sin and rebellion against our maker is no trivial matter. It's something that should never happen. When Adam did the unthinkable and transgressed God's command, sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, as has already been said. And that includes every one of us. When Adam sinned in the garden, he was our federal representative. In him, we have all sinned. We all come into this world as sinners. And then, of course, we all sin. And how good we become as we get older and older. We just become better and better at sinning. It's only when you appreciate something of the sinfulness of sin, that's how it was described to me by an old man when I was in the London City Mission, the sinfulness of sin. I thought that was good, what he said there. Because I don't think a lot of Christians, real, they know about sin and they truly believe that Jesus died on a cross bearing their sins. But I don't think even Christians appreciate the sinfulness of sin. How abhorrent it is. And it's only when you appreciate something of the sinfulness of sin, how repugnant sin is, that you can appreciate something of how blessed the man is whose transgression is forgiven. Where forgiven means lifted up, carried and taken away. I say that again, it's only only when you realise just how sinful sin is that you realise just how blessed you are if you are forgiven your transgressions. And forgiven means lifted up, carried and taken away. And that's what happens to your transgressions, lifted up and taken away. 
under the terms of the old covenant arrangement that God had with Israel, there was an annual day of atonement during which two goats were taken. One of the goats was sacrificed as a sin offering for all the people of Israel. And the other one, the scapegoat, was released into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. When the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of the new covenant, came into the world, John the Baptist heralded the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus with the words, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Interesting choice of interesting choice of words. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Taketh away is just one word in the original Greek, and it also carries the meaning to bear. The reason I'm telling you this is so that all of you whose transgression is forgiven, where forgiven again, it means lifted up, taken away, can understand that when the Lord Jesus Christ was wounded for your transgressions at the cross, he was lifted up to die on that cross, wasn't he? And he bare your sins in his own body and he took away those sins as far as the east is from the west. Talk about a a fulfilment of the scapegoat being released into the wilderness. We see it fulfilled at the cross with Jesus taking away your sins, dear Christian. Bearing them in his body, taking them away. Only Jesus can lift up your transgressions and take them away, never to be seen again. Secondly, how blessed is he whose sin is covered? That's what we read still in verse 1. The Greek word that is translated covered in verse 1 is translated hid in verse 5. Same Greek word where David said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. Your sin can either be hidden, or your sin can be covered by God. It's one of the two. Hidden by you, or covered by God. You'll all know a thing or two about hiding your sin. I certainly do. Hiding your sin, usually with lies, thereby compounding your sin with even more sin. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. We've all done it. You do something wrong, you don't want to get found out, so what do you do? You lie. More sin. And even if you succeed in hiding your sins from others, including and perhaps especially your nearest and your dearest, Of all people, you do not want your nearest and dearest to find out what you've done. You're still conscious of those sins, often painfully so. As has already been mentioned, your own conscience will accuse you. David had sinned most grievously. He committed adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And he arranged for Bathsheba's husband to be killed in the battle. He too hid his sins in that he kept silent. Until such time the prophet Nathan was sent by God to confront him with his transgressions. And the prophet uttered the words, 
Thou art the man. That's what he said to David. Thou art the man. Until then, David had suffered greatly, albeit silently. So much so that in verse 3, he said, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Have you been there? Your bones waxing old. That's when you've got sin. You're hiding sin. And it impacts on your whole, every part of you. It's never a good thing to hide your sins. All sin, no matter how small and insignificant it might seem to be, it is a transgression of God's law. Therefore, no matter how skilled you are at hiding your sins from others, and even if you can somehow live with a conscience that accuses you day and night, so much so that you become weary through lack of sleep, or even if your conscience is seared as with a hot iron, so it doesn't really trouble you too much because you've sinned so often, And you've managed to suppress your conscience. You can be sure that your sin will eventually find you out. All your sins are laid bare before God. Whom we must give an answer to. You can't hide your sins from God. None of us can. Far better than hiding your sin is for your sin to be covered by God. In the sense that God no longer sees your sin. And he can be said to remember your sin no more. When Adam and Eve sinned, the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. However, they were not able to cover Their guilt and shame, or should I say they were not able to hide their guilt and shame. When they heard the voice of the Lord, they hid amongst the trees of the garden. (coughs) However, God graciously covered their nakedness. He made coats of skin and he clothed them. We see a most wonderful and most gracious fulfilment of that divine intervention with the Lord Jesus Christ covering his redeemed with his own righteousness. His own sinlessness. As the prophet Isaiah said, and as all who are trusting in Jesus as their saviour from sin can say, and you'll find this in Isaiah 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Consequently, when a person appears before the holy and righteous God, covered In the robe of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not see his sins. And that person is accepted before God. In the the beloved son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. I, I hope that makes sense to you. You stand before God 
covered in the righteousness of Christ, the beloved Son. God sees your sins and does not see your sins and he remembers your sins no more. That's the only way though. You have to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. There is no other way. Thirdly, we go on to um, verse 2. Verse 2. How blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. What that means is that sin is not charged to the account of the person whose sin is forgiven. We all all have an account. You're familiar with bank accounts. We all have an account. And your sin is not charged to your account if your sin is forgiven. That doesn't mean to say that he has nothing in his account. He does. He has the righteousness of Jesus. And that is something that we've already considered. From the moment that person first believes, God declares him righteous. It's a declaration made from heaven that that person is righteous with the righteousness of Christ. He is covered and he is adorned in that righteousness and that righteousness is imputed to his account. That's what we see there. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. So there's no iniquity, no sin in that person's account. But what I've just said to you is that you don't have an empty account. You have the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account if you're trusting in Jesus. Earlier on I said that the Apostle Paul mentioned Psalm 32 in his letter to the Romans, the church in Rome. In chapter 4 of that letter, Paul spoke about being justified or made righteous. means the same thing. Being made righteous by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not through works of the law. Not through trying to earn merit before God. None of us can do that. God's not impressed with all your wonderful things that you do. God doesn't sit there clapping his hands uh, every time you, you manage to go a day without swearing or whatever it is. So, Paul spoke about being justified not through works of the law, not through your own works, which can only ever produce the filthy rags of self-righteousness, which are wholly unacceptable to God. Again, God is not impressed. Paul said, What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, have found... For if Abraham were justified, made righteous by works, by the things he did, he have whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you do works, then whatever you get is wages. God's not in the business of rewarding you for uh, with heaven for your works. Far from it. I already said earlier, your wages 
if you're not trusting in Jesus, is hell. So, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's not about your works, it's about faith. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. This is, um, see Paul is actually quoting Psalm 32 here. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. In the verses I've just read to you from Romans chapter 4, imputed, counted and reckoned all mean precisely the same thing. They all come from the same Greek word. What that means is that Father Abraham, David the sweet psalmist who wrote Psalm 32 and all of you dear Christians, I put you with our Father Abraham and the psalmist David. All you dear Christians have the righteousness of God imputed or counted or reckoned to your account through your God-given faith in the sinlessly perfect life, the sacrificial death and the triumphal resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You Christians in here, you people who have a hope that reaches up to heaven, God has imputed the righteousness of Christ to your account, through faith in Jesus, that is credited or reckoned to your account. Because you trust in the sinless life, the sacrificial death of Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Having the righteousness of God imputed to your account necessitated the Lord Jesus Christ being bruised. Or crushed for your iniquities. For God hath made him to be sin for you. Who knew no sin. That's Jesus who knew no sin. That you might be made the righteousness of God in him. Two things happen when we're saved. Our sin is imputed to Jesus. And as I said this morning. We don't have. We don't do that. God lays upon Jesus your iniquity, you who trust in Jesus. So your iniquity, your sin is imputed to Jesus and his righteousness is imputed to you. That transaction has been termed as a double imputation. It's been termed that by the theologians. A double imputation. Your sin, your iniquity is imputed to Christ at the cross. And his righteousness is imputed to you, to your account. How wonderful that is. How amazing. And what love that is. Fourthly, how blessed is the man in whose spirit is no guile. That's the last thing we see in verse 2. How blessed is the man in whose spirit is no guile or deception or lies. In other words, the man who is forgiven is not 
living a lie. Looking at it another way, if your transgression is not forgiven, or your sins, your iniquity, if it is not forgiven, if instead of having your sin covered by God, if you are hiding your sin, if you are therefore covered in the filthy rags of your own self-righteousness, instead of being covered and adorned in the righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life is one big continuous lie. Your life is a sham. Whoever you are, if you are not trusting in Christ, your life is a sham. There isn't a Christian alive who has no more traces of deceit in his heart and no more lies proceeding in his mouth. I have to confess, that's me as well. I can't for one second say that there's no more traces of deception, deceit, lies in me. I'd love it if that was the case, but it's not. I'm still a work in progress. And that work will only end when I die and I go to be with Jesus. Same as the rest of you Christians in here. Even so, to quote Spurgeon, he who is pardoned, forgiven his sins, has in every case been taught to deal honestly with himself, with his sin and with his God. Forgiveness is no sham and the peace which it brings is not caused by playing tricks with the conscience. Self-deception and hypocrisy bring no blessedness. They may drug the soul into hell with pleasant dreams, but into the heaven of true peace they cannot conduct their victim. Free from guilt, free from guile, those who are justified from fault are sanctified from falsehood. A liar is not a forgiven soul. Someone who is habitually living a lie is not a forgiven soul. And that is you if you are not trusting in Jesus. It's a continual lie your whole life. Last of all, in the first two verses of Psalm 32, we've considered what David said about how blessed the man whose sin is forgiven is, and no doubt he spoke from his own joyful experience. Also, let's just have a look at David's closing words of encouragement to all who are blessed. Look at the the last verse there. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. That's David's closing words to that psalm. So there you are. All you who are blessed, all you who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to rejoice, you are to shout for joy. And that, that makes sense. We are, we should do. We can be so miserable as Christians. And we of all people ought to rejoice. Because we have a joy that has been given to us. A joy that has its origin in heaven. A joy that Jesus gives. As indeed he gives his peace. There's nothing in this world to match that. The joy and peace, I've said it all before, the joy and peace that you have if you're not trusting in Christ, it can be here now and gone in the next second. Just vanish, evaporate. 
but the Christian ought to rejoice and shout for joy. Perhaps we would do precisely that if only we who are trusting in Jesus as our saviour from sin appreciated how thoroughly blessed we are with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just if we took time to just think about the blessings that we have. What's that hymn? Count your blessings. Even in the whole of eternity, we'd never be able to count all our blessings that we have in Christ. But it's not a bad idea to do it all the same. I can think of a lot worse things to do. I can't think of anything better, though, than counting my blessings in Christ. David was able to speak as he did about being blessed. He was able to encourage others despite there still being sin in his life. He was another one who hadn't speak, uh, who hadn't reached spiritual perfection. Not by a long chalk. I've already mentioned that, that dark time in his life when he committed adultery and so on. About his sin, let's have a look at verses 3 and 4. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture, my strength is turned into the drought of summer. He had no strength in him when he kept silent about his sin. This is David speaking about his own very dark experience. But it didn't end there. Look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. You've got those three words for sin there, transgression, iniquity and sin. And the important thing to note there is David acknowledged, confessed his sin and he received forgiveness. God forgave him his sin. There you have it. That, dear friends, is the single most important thing that you can do and you must do. You must do it, whether it's for the first time in your life or even if you've been trusting in Jesus for many years and the hand of the Lord might be upon you now, heavy upon you, as it was upon David because of sin. Don't hide your iniquity any longer, whoever you are. Confess your transgressions unto the Lord, believing that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions, that he was bruised for your iniquities, and by his stripes you are healed. And God remembers your sins no more. Amen.